For I know the plans for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. This church, Hope Fellowship, was founded on this verse. We are not going to forget it. Especially in this journey of trying to figure out where to go, what to do, what are we going to do, all this stuff. This is the future. God has given us each other as a church family. And perhaps this crisis can be a gift to us. I see this at funerals. Isn't that crazy? The passing can be a gift to stop and think about life and how short it is. Well, this crisis is a gift to you and I to think about life, to think about our church family's life, and to not take it for granted. Stop and take stock of the good things you have. We begin with, we're not alone. Our Heavenly Father is in charge of this journey. I had someone come up to me right at the beginning of service today, say, don't lose hope, don't be discouraged, and she didn't realize I needed that. Why? Did you know I was going like this all week? Up and down? (laughs) It's nuts. Hence today's message. Grace leads us through darkness and pain and lostness. It does not run away from us. Grace walks with us. We are not alone. No matter what you walk through, no matter what your worries are, your future scares, for all the fantasy thinkers who imagine things that have never even happened and aren't even a possibility, but it's somehow entertained in your mind and you you become more fearful as you think it through, what a spin cycle to be in. Peace to you. The peace of Christ in those moments of thinking. Let me suggest you're not the first people. We are not the first people to walk through scary moments and wonder, where is God? Where is he? Right when I expected him and needed him, he's not there. Oh, yeah? Let's take a look. Oops. Oops. Get used to that word. Oops. The Lord will fight for you and will, and, and you need only be still. Exodus 14. This is a scary story. Israel had just taken a leap of faith, left Egypt, and were freaking out. Exodus 14 is a story of Egypt after they've left saying, Go, Israelites, we want nothing to do with you. You've been a pain. And then realizing, What do we do? We just sent all our slaves away. Who's going to do the work? I have my nails to do tomorrow. I can't work. Let's get the slaves back. And so they, boom, they head out full till, full army to bring back these Israelites. And the story usually goes like this. They see the Israelites, or so the Egyptians coming. Oh no, Moses, what are we going to do? Oh, we should have stayed back in Egypt. I miss my hors d'oeuvres, and I miss my fresh food, my vegetable garden. I miss all the securities of what is normal. They were so used to the regular day stuff. They had homes that were okay. It was just a place. And God had to shake them free from that location. I'm not talking about us as a church, okay? That's not what I'm, where I'm going. I just thought of that one. Ooh, no, don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> just in case. 
there's good news here. The point I want to make is when they get to the place where there's a Red Sea, where are we going to go? And they see, look behind them and, and say, we're dead. What did, why, Moses, why did you drag us out of here? I found something very interesting as I read through chapter 14. You can do it on your own. Exodus chapter 14. It begins with, listen to this. This is really cool. God telling Moses the plan. Isn't that incredible? He didn't have to, but he didn't tell the people the plan. Hence them freaking out. Now, do you think Moses got a little bit nervous? Absolutely. I would too. But God gave the leader a vision and an explanation of what will happen and how to deal with it. And as they're whining and screaming, we're dead, we want to go back, we want to go back. God tells Moses, put your arm out and begin walking. Wow. And they walked through. They were scared. But God was with them. My goodness, he was also that pillar of fire. He was the cloud at, uh, during the day. He was right there. It was obvious he was there, and yet they were still freaking out. So, for those of us who constantly pray, Lord, I need a miracle. I need to see a sign. Show me a sign. Give me a sign. I need a sign. You don't need a sign. Israel had signs. They saw stuff that you and I would freak out over and go, whoa, God's real. Just one would have been really enough for me. So I would think. They had it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then they screwed up and God blessed them. They screwed up and God blessed them. Brought them back, back and forth, back and forth. Man, there's a, a gracious God at work in the Old Testament. There's more grace in the Old Testament than I ever dreamed of. Steve McVeigh even did uh, 52 um, teachings right through the Old Testament. Four messages on every single Old Testament book showing grace in every single book. It's there. Look for it. Oh, that's just law. It's Old Covenant stuff. We don't need to read that. Yes, you do. It's filled with lessons for us. There's great stuff there. Here's Israel afraid, wondering what to do. And he reminds them, I'm there. You don't need a sign. You have the sign in you. By believing something that's already true, you are one with Christ. That's your sign. That is all you need. You keep going after amazing um, signs and wonders only, then you're pursuing a sign, not Jesus. I'd rather have the real thing instead of the, the offshoots that distract you from Jesus. Does God use signs and wonders? Absolutely. But ask your heart, what am I searching for? I still want to see a miracle. It would be really cool. Just, just so you know, that would be cool. Lord, you heard me. All right. So, next, another story of fear. A woman is about to die, about to eat her last meal. She has nothing. Elisha comes to the house. Say, make me a loaf of bread. We have nothing. We just have this, this. We're eating our last one now. Hmm. She's afraid. They're going to die. Now they get a new tenant. (laughs) And here's what happens. He tells her, go and find empty jars. Because all she had in her house was uh, oil. 
Go find all the emptiness you can find. Listen carefully. Find all the emptiness you can find. And as they were bringing in bottles, this little flask was filling up each one. It was a miracle. This thing kept filling into all emptiness. Empty being filled. Empty being filled. Find more empty. Not enough. Get more empty. Until every jar was possibly available was filled. And listen. The oil stopped running. Sometimes we have to ask, are we empty enough? Are we self-sufficient so much so that we need nothing? Are we so independent, we have forgotten we've been created for dependence, depending on the Holy Spirit, and God allows the shake-ups in our lives. He allows those things. He's not distant from them. He's not putting it on you. He sees and he'll walk with you and he's going to turn your ear and your mind towards him through it. Say, hey, trust me in this. I'm reminding you that I am there. You're not alone. Is there enough empty in your life? Or are you totally fine and don't need them? Just to feel good once in a while. See your drug. I think we need to live in that place of brokenness. Independence is not what we're created for. To live in that need to surrender, that place of constant, absolute, instant-by-instant surrender. When I talk about brokenness, I'm not talking snap, kaput. I'm talking about the yielding everything to Him, being dependent on Him to work out whatever it is that has to be worked out. That family survived. Next, we have the story of Elisha on a, on, a, on a castle wall. This city is going to be taken. They are going to be slaughtered. All they see is all these armies. There is no hope. They're going to starve them out. They're, this is nasty stuff. It's, one of the, it's a very vile picture. And yet Elisha prays that God opens the eyes of the servant looking out. He says, look, You see this, and God opens his eyes and shows him the heavenly armies. There is a spiritual war going on. There is a spiritual realm all around you. Not everything is as it seems. I promise you. This is not everything. Whatever you touch, uh uh-uh. We are surrounded by spiritual world. You are living in it. You are spiritual beings having a human experience. You'll know that reality when you exit your earth suit. Remember? Nobody gets out alive. Funeral joke. Oh, you just got it. Oh, you guys are slow. It's actually true, but hey. Fear not. Fear not. That is the message. You are not alone. And sure enough, God rescued that city. Fear not. The number one thing that hits us when trouble comes our way, the number one thing is fear. It's not wrong to fear, folks. Please. Some people think it's a lack of faith if you fear. I'm sorry. We are wired to have all kinds of real emotions. 
You're allowed to experience it. Don't live in it. Don't live from it. Call it into account and say, wait a minute. Is this fear based on my own insecurities? Or can I trust God? Am I trying to fix my own mess? Am I trying to help God out? It's hmm. a good question. Fear. Darkness comes. Darkness comes and blinds us from a reality that somebody else is in charge. It can happen to the best of us. Yep. Jesus too. Something happened on that cross. We don't know. Was it in his humanness crying out? Was there cloudiness and darkness around him that he couldn't see, couldn't feel his father? He knew who he was, one with him. In that place of utter darkness, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me has been so misquoted because it implies, where the heck are you, God? I thought you'd be with me always. That's not it at all. He's declaring into darkness the reality God will not leave him or forsake him. Read further down. He's declaring Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's how many of, of the Jewish leaders talked about the Psalms. They just read the first line and they all knew it. Just like at an insane asylum. They just hear these numbers being yelled out and a new guy comes in. What are these numbers? That's joke number 44. So somebody yells out 33. <laughs> they start laughing. Same kind of idea. <laughs> okay. Did you make the bridge? No. That's okay, Brian. The point is, the first sentence was the declaration of the entire psalm. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 is the Easter story, folks. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Declaring into the darkness, you will not forsake me. It's an absolute impossibility. There is hope when darkness surrounds. And it was dark that day. It was painful. He was alone. That was a tough day. So, in our dark times, in our moments of lack of hope, we need some hope. We need to see grace in the pain. Let me show you some verses. We're going to walk through these quickly. Oh good, I've got lots of time. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So, now, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. This is not our favorite verse, folks. It should be. It proves your God's in charge. Is His grace enough for you? No, but I want a sign. You don't need a sign. His grace that He's put in you already is enough. Stop whining and start believing truth. All the, anytime you whine about that stuff, it's a declaring a lack of faith. Stop. Find those scriptures that affirm the truth. Read them until it burns into your mind. Father, help me get this. Help me get this. And guess what's going to happen? 
a deeper understanding of those texts is going to come and, and totally melt into you. You're going to go, wow. And guess what else is going to happen? Later when the stuff happens again, you'll be able to draw on that verse more often and it'll become part of your pattern of drawing on the Lord for his strength, especially in our weakness. Hebrews 4.16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Receive mercy and find grace. Hmm. There's a lot of grace there. Mercy, yeah, we all need it. Grace, yeah, we all got it. But we can't always see it. And he opens our eyes so we can find it. John 1, 14 to 18 is amazing. Listen, this is a heavy duty. And the word... Logos became flesh. This is the only word of God. Jesus himself. He is the word. The Bible, great book, bestseller. Okay? But this is not the word of God. It's the written collection of scriptures penned by humans, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And is believable and trustable and good for teaching, reproof, building up. It's good stuff. But the real word is a person, Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's how you recognize Jesus. When you see grace and truth. If you see condemnation and legalism, that's not Jesus. Turn away, run. Turn it off. Quit viewing those pages that mix it all up. You don't need mixed. You don't need a mixed gospel. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are the same. We're one. You looking for the Father? Look at me, he says. You can trust that. Grace and truth. Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Ooh. This is an uncomfortable one. Well, at least it can be. Think about this. Look after each other, church, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Grace has been given. Believe it. Receive it. You need to believe it. And then it begins to transform you. Begins to renew your mind. And don't let this stuff happen. Bitterness. Oh my goodness. Root of bitterness begins with unforgiveness. Not forgiving others. Ticked off of somebody and refused to forgive them. That's just the seed and just bitterness, bitterness, bitterness. Do not let it run. Stop. It does not build fellowship. It does not encourage in relationships because you and I have been created for relationships. 
And that's one of those things that hurts relationships. Bitterness. Go for the grace. 2 Peter 3.18 Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forevermore. I love the 2 Peter 3. There's a lot of good news in there. Go ahead and read it on your own. Fantastic stuff. One of my favorite chapters. But we are called to grow in our knowledge and understanding. Take a look. Grace and knowledge there. A little earlier, he says, go in your knowledge and, and, and understanding. So knowledge is nice, but you need to understand it too. But if you don't have knowledge, you can't understand. So grace is the beginning. Knowledge is the depth of growing in it. And then the experience, that's understanding. You're called to grow up. Everybody is. First Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's very much like our, our theme verse. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, <laughs> to prosper you. Here, here he is. He will do all this. He'll perfect you. He'll confirm you. He'll strengthen you. He'll establish you. He doesn't need your help. Learn to rest. Learn to rest in the truth. Everything has been made complete. You are a complete person. You are perfect, but you're still becoming perfect. How does that work? I'll tell you how it works. A baby is born. Ten fingers, ten toes. Perfect baby. But still has to grow up. Just like you and I. We're made perfect. We need to let that perfection come out in our actions, in our beliefs, in our understanding, in our learning. Next. Romans 3, 20-24. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law, sorry, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now that sounds really deep. I'll make it really simple for you. Law came in, rules, to point out what's wrong. You, you suddenly know, okay, well, I didn't know that was wrong until I saw the sign. It's like the, the, uh, um, the government of Ontario changing driving rules, you know, and not telling you, and then you get pulled over and said, that's not fair. But now that you know, you know what not to do. It's, it's an exposure of truth, but it can't fix anything. Jesus came to fulfill the law and bring you grace. You live under him now, not under rules. Now the rules, I'm, just in case you're thinking, hey, um, no rules are required. It's fun to joke around and say, hey, no rules. But we're, when we say no rules, we are talking about our understanding of our Heavenly Father, between Him and I, the relationship I have with Him, I'm not under rules. Between Him and I, my identity is secure. Is He going to give me direction and things to do? Yes. Do I want to obey? The real me does. <laughs> the, you know, the part that I'm not clear about sometimes fights against it and I want to do it my way. But the no rules has to do with relationship with God. We need rules to function. Every, there, has, there has to be guidelines and structures. The scriptures are clear all the way through. Organizational structure is critical. There's a reason for it. To help bring peace as we live amongst each other. It gets better. 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made manifested by being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That, this, this is really scary good news. Like really, if, if you write it down and look it up and study it, something could pop out because I'm seeing something that I hadn't really seen before. It's like, <gasps> that's amazing. Is that true? <laughs> Just think about it. Next. Oh, by the way, that was Romans 3. Romans 5. More good news. Therefore, having been justified, you've already been justified. You're holy, you're pure, you're clean, you're forgiven. You're justified. Another gift of the cross. By faith. Whose faith? The faith of Christ. Which is a gift to you. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we walk through troubles and don't have peace, there's a difference when your emotions are having a hard time and you're scared. There's a natural human response. God created us. With emotions. Okay? We can't always count on the emotions. But sometimes our emotions supersede rational thinking and protect us from imminent dangers like somebody throwing a, a steel ball at your head. You know, whatever. Like, whatever. Like something scary that shouldn't happen. Like, there's an emotional reaction. You move out of the way. You don't think through. I wonder if that's going to hit me. Yeah. Get out of the way. Through whom? Listen to this. We have peace through whom also we have obtained in our introduction by faith into this grace, this grace, in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of glory of God. Read Romans chapter 5. Slowly. And discover what this grace means. Chapter 5. The whole thing. Slowly. Romans 6.14 Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You are under the freedom of God's grace now. You're not under no law. You're under the law of the life of Christ which is so much more relaxing because your identity is secure. You don't have to strive to be made right with God. You have been made right. You are so right with God right now. Now act like it. <laughs> Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Oh, wait. Back up. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, so he loved us first. Are you seeing it? Now, even when we were dead in our trespasses, I'm not making this up, made us alive together with him. When? When we were dead. Now believe it so it can grow. Believe it so you can participate in the truth of your identity. Believe it so you will experience salvation. 
You must believe it. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. This, this is a whole sermon. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Huh, there it is again. Not even your own doing. Duh! We just saw that up here. Oops! Wah! <laughs> Holy smokes. Come back. Please, that was good news. Back to it. Please. Here we go. Ah, Wrong button. For by grace you've been saved. Is this the right one? Yes. Good. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. You can't say, ah, but I do all this for God. If your language is, I do it for God, think through what you're saying. I can handle people saying that now. But I used to have, feel I had to correct them. What do you mean, for God? We can't do so for God. You know, well, the intent is my heart wants to do this for God. I just want to, and I'm going to trust that he's the inspirer of that idea anyway. So we can relax a little bit on, on starting to cut up people for their wrong terminology. We're not the terminology police. And that's what happens in some gray circles. Stop it. Let's be gentle. Listen to the heart. It's good news. There's a lot of good news here. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Folks, if you're walking through darkness, this verse is important. Grace has been portioned to you. Look for it. That's what this whole message is this morning. Grace walks with you. You're not alone. Each one of us has been given a measure. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge. So he's telling them, you guys are doing great. You're excelling in all these wonderful things. Keep going. And then he says, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I wasn't going to show this verse because I thought it would be manipulating. But I can't. I have to show it to you. Because that is the fruit of grace generosity that we do give. It needs to be part of your daily life, part of your budget. Uh, a couple of financial planners here uh, will tell you that first thing they'll look at is they'll know your priorities by your budget. You all have certain incomes and you prioritize by your budget. Generosity better be in there. If it's not, put it in there, even if you don't feel like it, and I'll tell you why. The feeling will come as you begin to obey. This is the good obedience thing. This is the good stuff. And then watch your heart warm to it more and more. This, the grace is big. It affects every single area of our lives. Almost done, really. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. As in, quit worrying so much. Quit worrying about the politics of this world. Polytics. Poly meaning many ticks as blood-sucking insects. I think Harold Albrecht said that when he came here. Politics. Yeah. By a politician. (laughs) Do you remember that, anybody? That was funny. You have been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Get your eyes off of the fears of this world and put them on to the security you have in Christ. Seated in you, with you, 
one with you. It's good news. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed, the whole world, to the whole, to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. You need a regular reminder of good news. This is the last slide. Here we go. Because some of you are wondering, when's he going to be done? Man. John 15, 16. This is the summary page. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. You did not find God. I found the Lord. He did not. He found you and opened your mind. It feels like, it looks like you found him. But he found you. And wait a minute. For those who are fearful of loved ones and friends that don't believe, if God can find you and get through your thick skull, do you think he can get through to those you love as if you love them more than God? Who do you have your faith in? Your Heavenly Father? My mom. <laughs> Dear Saint. Um, she, she knows it now. <laughs> but she used to, she was one of these evangelism people. Knock, knock, knock on doors. Go on the bus ministries and knock on doors and hand out tracks. And even, I'm going through the grocery cart. I remember sitting in the cart. My mom's putting in tracks in people's carts. All this, you know, this was your life. Turn or burn. All this. Really? It's not helping good heart good intent did it out of what knowledge she did have boy the knowledge she has now (laughs) yeah one day we will see clearly John 3.16 for this is how God loved believers nope uh oh so this is how God loved the world those dumb, blind people who scream that God hates certain kinds of people or screaming with signs and at protests and all that. I'm sorry, you're wrong. God loves everybody. He loves the world so much that he gave his son to die. That's love. He loves everybody. He hates no one. And lastly, you get to leave with this. We love because he first loved us. Isn't that good? Some people used to point and say, you should love the Lord. Oh no, it's a duty. How do I do that? Get the list out. No. You first be loved, beloved. Recognize you are loved. Only then can you love others authentically without ulterior motive. May the grace of Christ reveal that truth to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your grace finds us. Your grace lives in us. Your grace leads us, is ahead of us, is behind us, is beside us above us and below us. We are surrounded by your grace. 
Open our eyes to see it. And for those of us who need to feel it, please let us feel it, especially when we're in a dark moment. Panicky times. Oh no, what do we do? Father, be our wisdom and our peace. Be the answers for us. And when we forget, remind us of the verses we just covered today. Remind us your grace is good. You first loved us. Now we can love. We can respond. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.